This is Aurora. You are listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. I'm Linus Wilson. On this episode, we talk to the crew of Wicked Salty. Both Wes and Kate sailed a Ericsson 30-plus sailboat that they bought on Craigslist and within a few months sailed to the Bahamas, and they cruised the Exumas, Nassau, the island of Eleuthera, and the Abacos in less than a year after buying a sailboat that they got for a pretty good price. It's definitely an inspiring story, and they produce a lot of great videos on YouTube, and uh, you should definitely check them out. Much to the sadness of many sailors who watched their videos, they've decided to sell their boat, and we talk about that in this podcast, why they decided to sell their boat, and uh, what their future plans are. I can identify with their story uh, quite a bit. We talk about how my family bought a 30-foot sailboat on Craigslist too, and you know it wasn't the, it wasn't the right boat for us, but it was a great boat, and we had a lot of fun on it. And I'm so glad that the crew of Wicked Salty, the YouTube channel, had so much fun on the SV parody, and I hope that they will bring us along for their adventures on any new boat that they may have. The intro you heard was from Aurora, our newest patron on patreon.com. She joined uh, the crew as a first mate level uh, that entitled her in addition to the free audiobook and all the bonus content, including a bonus episode which talks in depth about Wicked Salty's adventures in the Bahamas and how they overlapped with the Slow Boat's adventures in the Bahamas and Slow Boat to the Bahamas. So a uh, first mate crew member on patreon.com slash sailing gets a free PDF version of Slow Boat to the Bahamas by number one bestseller on Amazon.com sailing ebooks. And in addition to the audiobook version of How to Sail Around the World Part Time. And, you know, as a, as a patron of any level on Patreon slash Slowboat Sailing, you can get access to all the bonus episodes uh, that we put up there, uh, which include. Bonus chapters from the audiobook of Slow Boat to the Bahamas. Uh, bonus episode uh, with uh, the crew of SV Delos. And a bonus episode now of the crew of SV Parody, or better known as Wicked Salty, the YouTube channel. So we're about $15 away from our $20 goal uh, for our Patreon drive and I hope you join us there. I think it's a great value, and you will be well rewarded as well as 
giving the cruising dreams to other sailors, whether it's in the form of giving away my book, Slowbo to the Bahamas, if we reach our goal, or by making this podcast possible so that it's 100% free to iTunes and Stitcher subscribers. So I believe I am completely done with the provisioning for the slow boat for its big trip. But now the problem I face is that the, the slow boat has a grocery list of two degrees. So it seems to be leaning two degrees to starboard because I think I put all the heavy groceries on the starboard side. So I think I need to redistribute them so that the boat is a little bit better balanced. Too much canned goods, too much Parmalat milk on one side. And hopefully I'll remedy that and get rid of some of the grocery list. So if you want to see a very scared, bald, middle-aged man three-quarters of the way up the mast, you should check out the pictures I took with the selfie stick. Uh, while I was putting up the topping lift for the whisker pole this weekend on Facebook slash Slowboat Sailing or in search box Slowboat to the Bahamas, my daily blog of my musings about the boat and other matters related to the water. So I think most sailors have heard of the Gulf Stream, which runs Uh, along the Florida Straits, runs by Miami, separates the Bahamas from mainland U.S. But I think maybe fewer have thought or heard about the loop current, which is really the, the start of the Gulf Stream and why it's called the Gulf Stream, because the loop current goes in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico. And for me heading from New Orleans to Panama, the loop current stands in the way. And so the question is, do you go, do you avoid it? Or do you use it to your advantage? And how do you do that? And my initial thinking was to go west of the loop current and avoid it altogether by heading south right from the mouth of the Mississippi and head towards Isla Mujeres in Mexico. Now, I, you know, I may release a podcast about the check-in procedures for Mexico uh, from the, the Southwestern International Boat Show that I recorded. Then again, I may not. And uh, one of the reasons for that is that that presentation kind of made me skeptical about all the hassles involved about checking into Mexico if you're not going to spend some time there. Another issue is that if you go to Isla Mujeres, then you you eventually have to angle in to the northbound Gulf Stream or Loop Current, which is very strong near Isla Mujeres. And, of course, that makes your approach to Isla very slow. The other problem is that if you go straight for Isla Mujeres, then you are downwind of Cuba, 
which I was planning on using Cuba to break up the trade winds, but you have to motor straight into the trade winds in a busy shipping channel of the Yucatan Channel with huge currents pushing you north. So that didn't sound super appealing and definitely added an extra weather window to the trip. To me, going to Panama from New Orleans is all about the East Day. And really, the Caribbean, getting to the Caribbean, it's all about making the easting. And so where is it easiest to make it the easting against the trade winds? And, you know, one of the things that I, I learned is that, you know, the easterlies are not just limited to the t trade wind belt, but, you know, most of the winds this time of year coming out of the Gulf of Mexico are going to tend to be southeast. And that is basically the direction I want to go. So how is I going to best make my easting? Probably motoring in the sheltered waters of the Gulf Intercoastal Waterway. It's not completely sheltered, but it's certainly a lot more sheltered than the open ocean, and you can refuel. And so that's my current thinking uh, for how to do that. The other benefit of that is that if I get on the east side of the loop current, which turns into the Gulf Stream, then I can get the southbound portion if I would like to, and that will speed my progress to the western tip of Cuba, Cabo San Antonio. And that will allow me to get to Cuba, where I hope to make my easting to Panama so that I can get on a parallel beam reach and use the the beam reach with the easterly trade winds which blow strong in the Caribbean stronger than in the Gulf of Mexico so that's enough of my plans for the summer trip for the slow boat uh, to Cuba and eventually Panama Let's hear from the crew of the SV Parody, better known as the crew of Wicked Salty, Wes and Kate. You guys bought a 30-foot boat from Craigslist, is that right? That's right. I've done that before. <laughs> it's a good sight. You can get some real good deals. I think it's better than eBay, really. Yeah, it's, it's better than a lot of them. You bought it in Massachusetts, is that right? We bought it in Rhode Island. Rhode Island, okay. Pretty it's close. About a 45-minute drive from our hometowns. Where's your hometowns? Uh, Kate lives in Norwell, and then I live in Situate. Or I lived in Situate. What, what kind of sailboat did you get? We got a 1983 Ericsson 30 Plus. Nice. But it's pretty roomy. For the price? What was the it was, price? It was good. Uh, the price, I believe we got down to eleven five, And it, 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 you would think it would be roomy, but it was actually like a more racer uh, cruiser model of, of the Ericsson line. So the Ericsson 30 is like the, uh, the cruiser model. And then the 30 plus is the racer cruiser model. So there was just like a little bit less of the storage as you would think for two people in the boat. 
What was the beam on it? I think it was ten and a half. Well, that's not too narrow. We bought a 30-foot CNC Red Wing or Hinterholer Red Wing from 1969. It was pretty old for $4,600. Wow. But it only had an 8-foot beam, so it was pretty narrow. It wasn't a ton of living space, but it was pretty comfortable and nice. Yeah, we were lucky compared to all the other boats we looked at in that price range. It was really the one that needed the least amount of work and most, like, get on and get going. What kind of stuff did it have on it? It had uh, all the safety equipment other than, um, than like, all the required Coast Guard safety equipment other than, like, an EPIRB and then, like, your fancy life jackets. It just came with, like, the standard, uh, you know, uh, the ones that go over your neck, those orange ones. And... It, it came with flare guns, but the flares were expired, and uh, it came with a couple anchors, but we ended up having to change out a lot of things for our own cruising needs, because the boat was really well equipped for pretty much just day sailing. Yeah, and I find it, that almost all boats, their anchors are way undersized when they're sold. I think that's the first thing that owners strip off the boat. Definitely. And it was, I don't know, it just, it was good, you know, it worked because there was one time when we did have to emergency drop the anchor that came with the boat, and we didn't even have touched it, we didn't have touched it yet, so like I threw it off like it had been sitting there the whole time since we bought it, and it worked perfectly, so I can't complain about that. So did it have a lot of electronics on it, or not really? It had no electronics, no, no electronics, no GPS, no anything there was a really old vhf radio but no antenna and uh <laughs> it only turned channels by like turning a dial and then uh a digital analog thing appeared and it was missing like a few dashes so like some of the numbers would appear differently and uh only worked when you're inside the cabin so that was the only electronics that came with it and um and we it didn't even have autopilot either so it, it was pretty much just a sailboat just get on and hopefully have another GPS. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, I think you can get maybe better deals in the Gulf Coast. But, you know, the, the boats are probably in a little better shape up north there because they haul them out a lot. We couldn't really do any, uh, like, traveling because, I don't know, uh, I, I didn't tell my mom I was going to do this. Kate wasn't really talking to anyone that she was going to do it. We didn't run it same oh, we're going to get on a boat and, and go before we had the boat or anything like that. We, we're not like those people who just like say we're doing things and not actually going to do them. So it was difficult to to like go visit boats far away because we couldn't buy a plane ticket, go check out a boat because everyone's going to be like, you're crazy. You're not actually going to do this. So we're kind of limited with driving, finding boats, not telling anyone going on our own. Oh, I think that's a smart idea. I don't... I personally think it's a bad idea to run a national search especially for your first boat definitely this next time it's a very local thing it's very expensive to move and all those things that you said are true that you have to spend a lot of money on hotels and potentially plane flights and yeah uh, once you buy it it's probably not it's not good for transporting probably could find a captain to do it but that's also expensive in the water so that was the biggest thing when we found parody it was already in the water 
the guy had to take it from the mooring to the dock I and then he took it back to the mooring so that was like enough faith for me to feel like it was a great boat that worked you know he could just turn it on instantly go to the mooring come back whenever I wanted and got the survey and it was close enough to take to just bring from the mooring that he had to our harbor back home and it, it has a diesel engine on it it does it has a Yanmar diesel oh that's cool yeah, my my new boat has a Yanmar. My old one had an Atomic Four, uh, which was okay the gasoline, but it you know that really limits its range because gasoline doesn't have the same range uh, per gallon. Yeah, my dad told us that he basically wouldn't allow us to find a boat with a gas engine. He said that uh, his experience with gas engines is that they're like a ticking time bomb, and if you're out there in the middle of the ocean and something goes wrong with you're basically have a bomb and you're just <laughs> in a bad scenario he said the diesels were a lot safer and I'm, I'm pretty glad that he uh led us into that yeah i mean obviously there's a risk with gasoline but i think i think all cruisers kind of run risks with gasoline because they have gasoline outboards so you've got gasoline on your deck all the time Definitely. but you, you do have to be sure that the blower is working and uh, you don't you don't want to light anything up if you the blower hasn't been running definitely okay so how long did you fix it up for we bought the boat in july and we were out in august or, oh. or we were out in october i should october. say but we, it good. really didn't take too long it was mostly kind of scrubbing getting in the nooks and crannies with the toothbrush and making sure it was all our own germs i guess yeah before it and then we had to wait a little bit of time to get the in- electronics installed. Yeah, we, we did get some electronics before we left. We got a um, depth sounder. Uh, oh, it didn't have had, a depth sounder. It didn't have a depth sounder. <laughs> it, it had original electronics, but they were all broken. You know, okay. they, were just, they were just gauges. It okay. had one of those old school depth sounders, like on a string, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we still had that. That worked great throughout the whole trip. We had a, uh, <laughs> a, lead, a lead line on a weight, and it actually worked really well. It was, like, perfectly uh, uh, measured out to, like, a little over our keel, keel uh, depth. Yeah, I did make a lead line before I went on my Bahamas trip, but not for depth sounding, but for to check the bottoms. Like, yeah. so, so that's the nice thing about the lead line. If you have the wax or some petroleum jelly, you can put that on it, and then hopefully it'll pick up what's on the bottom. It'll give you oh, a better wow. idea. Oh, wow. Yeah, you, you, you lace it, in that, and then you drop it down, it'll pick up sand or mud or whatever. Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it works great, but it, uh, you know, it's helpful in, in turbid water. And, yeah. And, you know, really most of the water in the U.S. is pretty turbid. Yeah, so, so pretty much straight Florida through all the way up north is that's perfect for it. <laughs> yeah, now in the Bahamas it's a little different. You don't need uh, that, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. So it sounds like so you put on a depth sounder. Did you get an autopilot for it or not really? Uh, no, no autopilot. The depth sounder was actually a Garmin chart plotter. GPS, uh, radar, all all in one. It was like an all inclusive set. Oh well, that's pretty fancy. You got radar. So it was a pretty great deal for for like everything. You know, what I mean, it was all in one. Did you uh, Did you ever use the radar? Uh, very limited, to be honest. I would say if if someone were planning on doing the same trip as us, like 
taking down the mast and putting up a new radar, something like that, you don't need to do that necessarily because the only times we were ever using the radar was when it was really foggy outside and that's when the radar came in handy and as well because you can pick up channel markers if you're traveling uh in the icw or wherever chesapeake and it's you're in the deep fog and also obviously if you're out there in the middle of the night uh like crossing the gulf stream or out there in, in uh, deeper waters and the radar went straight to your chart plotter screen it, it did yep and then you could even do like uh because it was all three in one you could like split the screen and make it appear like radar, chart plotter, everything. You can even overlay it. Oh, okay. Pretty cool. Did you did you ever use the radar for night sailing, or did you do much night sailing with that? We did, but I wouldn't say we used the radar a lot. The days we were out night sailing, we had great visibility, so anything we would see, we could see like lights in the distance and whatnot. I've heard some people say they were able to spot squalls with the radar. Did you find that to be the case? We heard that afterwards. People were, when we were showing video of us caught in storms, they're like, why didn't you just check the radar? But to be honest, we never really thought of doing that. And we could see all the storms coming as well, you know? And also, when, whenever we were um, in the States and with bad weather, we could just turn on our, like, our cell phone and get the Doppler. So, you know? Exactly. I'm surprised you had to dip your mast is is the is the ericsson 30 plus is it uh meant to be trailered it i'm not sure it, it can be it is deck stepped so it's not the most difficult situation okay so it's got a depth step mast is that reinforced beneath it is there it a, pole? Had a a mast like boot or shoe and then it had um uh there was like a beam that went up through to the bottom but the rigging and whatnot it had uh inline chain plates i believe that went through the uh deck and into the uh cabin i would have thought like with the radar you just get somebody on a, a bosun's chair and drill it on if you're going to put it on the mast or you'd put it on an arch if you have an arch i think it's a wire i guess the difficult yeah was getting the wires through oh okay all right that makes sense okay Let's see, you fixed it up for one month, that's right? Is that what you said? It was about, I would say it was about a month. It was about three weeks it was out of the water, when you say? Yeah. Oh, it, you hauled it out of the water, and then you put it back in? You ha- Plane to the bottom, hauled it, yeah. to the bottom, did the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. And then you started going south, is that right? That's right. Um, we... It was just... A- all the nor'easters were coming through, so it was kind of like a bad time to leave. We actually got stuck at our first anchorage in Hadley Harbor for five days. After like one day of traveling. Oh, <laughs> that's too bad. Yeah. And oh. we had already waited out a week earlier for the weather. So maybe you got a little antsy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's natural. I think there's kind of a little bit of a learning curve the weather. Oh, there Especially was a big early. <laughs> so, have you guys sailed prior to owning uh, the Ericsson 30 Plus? I had some sailing experience in like starting my ch- early childhood, and then uh, my dad has had cruising boats. So, I've been on, he has had a Sabre, he started out with a Sabre 362, and then he sold that and moved up to a Sabre. 426 and then 
more recently, they my mom and him sold that, and then he got his own Freedom Forty. So he's he's been moving around from boat to boat throughout the years, and uh, and I was able to get some experience. Uh, um, I I sailed Opties when I was real young, and I also sailed four uh, twenties uh, for like one year after Opties, and um, and then I I went. I went on an overnight with my dad from Situate to Rockport, Maine. We stopped at a lot of places, stopped at like Sigouin Island on the way up. And then uh, also I went on an overnight uh, from, we took one of my dad's friend's motor boat, motor, like motor cruiser slash sport fish, I'd say. Well, it was like an older boat from Key West all the way up to Jacksonville, Florida, mostly taking the ICW. And then I went on my dad's, uh, and my mom's saver four to six in the Bahamas for about two weeks cruising. Okay, well, it sounds like you had a ton of experience coming into this, so that's great. And you probably yeah, seen to have Wes's dad was a really yeah. great sounding board. We called him the help desk. Yeah, he was like a seven <laughs> help desk for those first four months, I'd say, and then. He was trying to get shake us loose after a while. Yeah, he, you know, he, he was. We'd call him at each night and tell him, uh, you know, the struggles of the day or the victories, and ask him if he, you know, would recommend an anchorage nearby. We'd kind of send him a yeah. pinpoint on our phone GPS. And yeah, when we first left, we had no idea about anything about like anchorages or where to look or even anything like that. So. From like we stayed at Hadley Harbor before, so we knew that one from the way to Sitchin. We stopped there the first time, and then uh, from like staying in all those places in New York, Long Island Sound, we were calling up my dad every day, be like, "Where do we go? We have no idea what we're doing." <laughs> wow. Well, uh, did he help you install any stuff, or was he too busy? He was, he, he, when, when, when we first got the boat, he came on the boat and saw it and. I had called him up before, like I bought the boat without him seeing it because um, I showed, I sent him the ad. He, yeah, he lived in South Carolina at the time, and I showed him the ad, and he already knew we were looking for boats. And then when he saw that I had found the Ericsson, and then we were in, we had already saw seen it once. He was just like, buy it, like you're not gonna have any more of an opportunity to do this, so you have to buy that boat. And I was like, okay, sounds good. So we bought it. It really was, yeah. I mean. July came around and yeah. he wanted to leave before the fall. And, and then he saw that we had like this Ericsson 30 plus with the Yamar diesel and it was all ready to go. And he was like, get it. You have to get that boat. Like, Yeah, actually on our ride home, we were driving home from visit, seeing the boat and we called the owner. Yeah. Made an offer. Yeah. You guys went from Massachusetts down. Did, did you go down the ICW once you got to Virginia? Yeah, we did. We once we went through uh, Delaware. We did. Yeah, um, East River to uh, Jersey Coast, outside the Jersey Coast, all the way to Cape May through the Delaware Bay, Chesapeake, and then to Norfolk, Virginia. ICW. Did you do the ICW in Georgia? We did. We did. We did both ways, south and north. On the way south, we actually went out at St. Mary's and then went back in at St. Augustine. That was the first trip down south. Okay. What problems happened when you're going down for the first time? Hmm. No problems? It just went... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Definitely there, not. There were... Uh, okay, 
Okay, so I'd say the first real grounding happened in McClellanville, and that was a pretty big deal, wouldn't you say? Yeah. So that was like a North it was Carolina. a real grounding. Yeah. Like, we were stuck there for an extended period of time with no hope. Yeah. Thinking we were going to have to swing the boom out with Wes on it yeah. to give us some leverage. It was yeah. quite and then, nice. And then I guess before that, the that mistakes was like our really big eye opener when we were trying to leave Hadley Harbor that second day of travel after waiting out a week and then our dinghy flew we were towing our dinghy improperly by the grommets we didn't even have like a bridle or anything like that because we had no idea what we were doing and we should have been towing our dinghy to begin with because it started out like the weather reports of like three to five foot swell and then it slowly moved up to like five to six always and then the winds were at like 30 knots plus consistently and we were towing our dinghy just with like a loop and a bridle and i mean a loop in the uh, grommet and then the grommet uh because the dinghy was whipping back and forth so much it just ripped off and we had to like rescue our dinghy and these like we had never been out in like these conditions ever alone I mean, it was day two traveling, yeah. and we were doing a rescue mission on the day. And we, we, didn't, we didn't know how to reef the boat at this point, so, like, we started out traveling uh, with full sail uh, with, the, with the Genoa out, and then slowly had to roll that up because we had way too much sail out, and then basically it, the conditions were so bad that I couldn't even tinker with trying to reef because I had no idea what I was doing reefing in the first place. So I basically had to just like spill out all the wind with like the full main constantly while like trying to make it to our next anchorage, like <laughs> beating into the wind. Does your main have any reef points it or does, does it, it have two roller reefing? Okay. Well, that's so good. So, anchored yeah. that night, yeah. we like we said, we called Wes's dad, the help desk, and he taught us about reefing. And we looked in the books that night, yeah. And it was like the next day, it was a whole new world, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> the next day, we reefed. Awesome. You went to Florida. How how did you find Florida once you got there? Great. We can't I, wait to get back. Yeah, I know. That's where we're gonna be heading down to. Next time we, we're on the boat, just we're going to move down to Florida for the winter for sure. <laughs> okay, so you, you enjoyed it. How long did you spend in Florida? We, we actually, we arrived in St. Augustine for New Year's Eve. Yep. So we were there for the first of the year and then... Until, until late March and then we left to the Bahamas, came back. And we were in Florida briefly. We were uh, on our way back north. We just like spun back, like sped home. <laughs> okay. And so when did you get home for your trip? When was the... We got home July 20th. I mean, we got to Charleston like July 10th, 20th-ish. Like 20th, I'd say. We were in Charleston. Uh, and to be honest, there was a time when we were like, popping around parody on a few docks like just for free like trying to get like a free dock to, until we put her up on the hard so like there was a time we we're in charleston just like floating around from dock to dock <laughs> did, you, did you sell her in charleston it's still she's still for sale we oh, dropped okay. her price significantly and um she's still on the hard right now we, we've got a few people interested but no one's taken immediate action quite yet okay so she's for sale in charleston not in That's Mass- okay 
And when was that when you put her on the hard? What year? <laughs> we put her on the hard uh, in like August or so. It, it was around, it was like end of July. It was honestly like the last week of July, I feel like. And we did, we were kind of like, we anticipated to sell her then. And then we kind of like went back home and then we didn't want to be back home and we wanted to be back on the boat. So we were anticipating to moving back to Charleston back onto parody before we sold her. Cause we were always planning on selling her, but we didn't know what we were doing at the time. And then we went back to Charleston, went back to parody and then, you know, decided that it wasn't going to be worth it to be putting the, little money we've already saved up for this next time around into parody just to make her in the water and like being ready to go so we thought right. scrap it we're, we're not gonna go back and live on parody we're gonna just continue on and try to sell her so there was this time period we had no idea we were going back and forth and back and forth right. we we're always wanting to sell parody we've always been thinking about getting this next boat ever since we were in the bahamas and but like the decision on when we were going to sell parody was always in the air. We, we it was like play it by ear kind of thing. Yeah, when we really when we bought parody, the entire idea was to make this trip from our hometown of Situate down to the Bahamas and back. Really, that was what we wanted to do with parody. And then after doing that, we realized we want to be cruisers. Yeah, and, yeah. No, you know, it was originally going to be like. Oh, like, you know, Wes is making these videos for, like, our portfolio builder, and then we're all going to move on and get real jobs after this, and then... We uh, fell in love with it. So, with that being said, we decided, you know, parody was great for what we did in that trip, but in the long term, we'd like to spend a lot of our time on the water and kind of change our lifestyle in that way. So, we're looking for something a little bit larger... Um, with a little and, bit more and to be honest, it's not like going to be like significantly larger. It's just going to be significantly more livable. Yeah, it's also kind of a light boat. Are you looking for kind of a heavier cruising oriented um, boat? We were originally like dead set on the whole like skeg and or full keel like blue water cruiser, blah, blah, blah. But like now we really want to find a boat that we're just going to be comfortable living in. And obviously, you have a good sailing boat, everything there. But we really just want to be happy and comfortable living on a great sailboat. Like, so I mean, coming from living without, you know, running water or you know anything along those lines, refrigeration, all that kind of stuff. It, okay, so Parody didn't have pressure water on it. It had pressure water for sure, but um, the tanks we couldn't fill up the tanks and keep them filled up to use that amount of water. It, it, yeah, it was like a five-gallon hot oh, water. Oh, okay. It mostly came out of the sink. And, How big um, were the tanks? Uh, I think it was like 25-gallon. Okay, that's not a lot. I think there may have been a two tanks, but it could have been equivalent to 25-gallon or 25 to... could have been more than 30, 35. Okay. Yeah, I think I have like 100 on my boat. Which is 31 yeah. feet. Yeah, so. no, definitely. So we were limited in that way. And traveling, you yeah. know, as a slow boat, it was more difficult to kind of stop in these places and get water when you need it. Or We didn't have a reliable diggy engine, too, which was huge. And uh, you know, the rowboat worked great at first, and it like, was ergonomically perfect as a rowboat, but then 
our our locks broke in St. Augustine, uh, and so we were like canoe style rowing from then on. <laughs> okay, yeah, I we have we had problems with our our dinghy motor too. That's detailed in my book, and we did buy a, a, a rowable dinghy. My wife really likes it. I like it too. It's just it's hard to carry heavy loads in, and definitely. it's definitely and not as stable as a inflatable. It's those, it's those days when you're anchored in some serious current, and uh, there's some even strong wind out there when it could be unsafe to even go out in the dinghy, and you end up like way away from the boat. You can't even walk the shore with the dinghy. Yeah, so I I wouldn't feel comfortable, for instance, rowing our Walker Bay A to, uh, what is it, the the docks at uh, Exuma Markets from Stocking Island in, in Georgetown, Exuma, yeah. which no, is I, about I, a yeah, mile I'm row at least. It's huge, I've heard. But the seas are pretty big Yeah, uh, between those two places. There's also traffic, too. Um, okay, so... And and that was the other thing I found in the Bahamas was that there's a lot of current. There's a lot more current than you're used to. Definitely. And and so you do have to have a pretty efficient boat that you can you can get some knots on. Definitely. Okay. That's, that's why when we anchored, we would always anchor as close to the dinghy dock slash beach as we could. We just went right up to there. Okay, and and so you were having you were really having outboard motor problems most of your trip. Oh, we we didn't have an outboard motor when we left, and we bought one down in Florida, and um, we didn't register the dinghy because we were unsure on whether the dinghy engine would be uh, reliable or not. And then as we didn't register as well because technically you don't need to register a dinghy engine for the Bahamas; like they don't need a registration for your dinghy. Um, well, I actually have a little experience registering a boat in Florida, and you need to be a Florida resident. So, <laughs> so you have to convince them that you're a Florida resident to do that. So, mailed to us in the first place, being like stationed on their boat full time. Right, they don't recognize that typically, or you have to make some convincing to say that you live on a boat. Exactly, and we kind of we we went under the radar while we had the dinghy engine, and, and to be honest, like. It wasn't the biggest deal. It was, you know, it's like a two and a half horsepower tiny dinghy engine, you know, and, and we live on a sailboat. <laughs> I had a lot of problems. I think most of them were water related and also kind of fuel delivery system related. So I had to get really good at rebuilding carburetors. And also I needed basically parts The basically the fuel filters were the things that were pretty much going bad on, on my pretty new outboard motors they were honda yeah i had honda two horsepower four strokes that's great with our outboard i don't know i think we bought a finicky outboard to be honest uh because it was on the verge of like i don't know the guy it seemed like the guy just got it working for us to be honest and it had worked all the way throughout florida it even worked straight through the bahamas until the exumas and then it came the time when we needed to get new fuel and there's no other place that sells uh, non-ethanol fuel because you're in the Bahamas and you have to get what you can get. And, and the dock at Highborn Key is like the only place that sells fuel and the Exumas around. Next stop is like Staniel Key, you know? Uh, exactly. 
So the non-ethanol was not a choice for us. And we, we obviously had put treatment, we had it measured perfectly, but it would, honestly, it was that moment when we put that new gas, the non-ethanol, the 10% ethanol gas at Highborn, and it just stopped working as great as it always did. And then weird things started happening. I had to clean the carburetor every single day. We were going to use the dinghy engine. It was like, a, it was a daily routine. And I you was, would actually bring the spare parts. If we would oh, go yeah. on a dinghy mission out to go, you know, diving somewhere, you'd bring the parts to change I it. brought the spark plugs. I yeah. brought everything. I brought the wrenches. I would be ready to go. And then, um, then after a while, the dinghy engine just stopped working even like the finicky way it even worked and then at one point i pulled the the cord and then all this like black kind of like it looked like debris but i believe it was just oil came out of the lower unit like when i was trying to start it up and then um and then i raised it up and then we put it on the back of the transom didn't work forever and then all of a sudden like we were traveling and all this oil just dripped out of its lower unit and then from then on i was like okay it's i think it's done well you know that's happened to me too and that was a symptom of me putting in too much oil i believe so i just overfilled the oil um and it would it it, it at some points it kind of sprayed out where it had holes uh, I guess in its it, the lower part of its cow, so below its cowling, yeah. uh, it, it would come out, and that was a symptom of me trying to fix everything. Thinking, well, yeah. maybe it was a little low on oil. And did right. you ever did you ever like examine your fuel? Did you ever my my engine? You could just tip it over, but uh, yours, you know, maybe suck out the fuel from the tank and then then look at the look at it through a a bag. To see if there's any water in it or see if there's any we didn't do that no i, I don't think we ever did that but we did change like we, as soon as it stopped working i stopped trying to run it with that gas i poured it all out and then we didn't use it and then we replaced it tried it again you know what i mean yeah and then still didn't work and then to be honest at that point i really think it was a it was, since it was a two-stroke i hadn't touched i hadn't added any oil i just added the oil with the like it was like the 50 to one right um, and the, yeah i think the two strokes a little the the down the great part of a two stroke and a lot of people like two strokes because they're lighter and you you know if you can get a two stroke they they like you can get more horsepower and lug it around better yeah no it was definitely great because i could like lift it one handed onto the day from the from the boat but uh the balance was the issue but yeah. yeah the downside is that you know once you you kind of mix that fuel together then you can't really do anything with that fuel because you can't use it in other things. Like if I had extra fuel in the in the outboard, I wouldn't. I'd never leave it in the outboard because I I gummed up a carburetor on another outboard before I'd left for the trip. But you could you could use it, for instance, in the the generator. So oh, we yeah. had a, we had a generator, or you could just put it back in the thing. Uh, although I I would definitely recommend this on your future trips is to buy a lot of uh, Ziploc bags or glad slider bags pour your fuel in there and examine it because you'll see a lot of water okay <laughs> you'll see it floating you'll see the difference yeah and the good thing about that is also if you're kind of low on fuel you can skim out the good stuff uh, and and leave the, the watery stuff on the bottom because the water goes to the bottom yeah we definitely would have tried that. I know. Then. It turned into a point where um, where I think we were going to have to replace our lower unit, and it, it 
we had bought the whole thing for like 200 bucks or something and it's kind of like yeah. do you well, put the extra money into rebuilding it or do you just buy a new engine well it sounds like you got kind of a good deal but it didn't work out i mean i i had brand more or less brand new engines one was from 2011 one was 2015 because i bought it in 2015 because i wanted a spare and you know i had problems with them and i think everybody has problems with them everybody i talked to were telling me the same thing you know it's probably a fuel problem probably a fuel problem probably a fuel yeah. problem yeah. and and uh i you know took me a while to really absorb that the other thing i'd recommend if you're getting a a, a newer outboard is to to get the shop manual for that because you you will have to fix your own outboard if you're going to the islands and so uh if you if you have the shop manual and if you have the spares then you're you're set up as well as as the folks at a at a uh, dealership so you know one of the things i found in key west for example that was the first time we found a place that was that had parts well i mean we could have found parts earlier but we didn't have time to but that was the first time we kind of uh found a place with a mechanic that conceivably was willing to work on our engine and they just had outboard after outboard lined up right and they were just not working on the outboards continually so if you dropped off your outboard with them you would have had to wait for like three weeks before they touched it and obviously if you're living on a mooring or living on a at anchor you can't wait three weeks you need to yeah. have it now and you're there's just no friend. right you need a friend or you but you can't you can't afford to wait ver, versus somebody that just goes to their boat on the weekends exactly okay it seems like you guys are very good at catching fish so <laughs> i need some tips on how to catch fish better off the back of my boat okay uh well we are going to catch some fish. We didn't catch a lot of fish in the videos because it wasn't our priority. We didn't have refrigeration. It was hard to get bait, et cetera, et cetera. But best way to catch fish, I would say, is A, if you have conch or conch slop, you catch a conch and then you get the slop, the extras, you use that as bait. That's like the best bait for fish is conch slop. Oh, you're talking and, about as you're anchored. Yep, as you're anchored, definitely. And uh, I'm, I'm just talking about like so... The first thing is you get bait, or if you're using artificials, but we always use bait, hook, and line. No, no. I was thinking, I was thinking more on passage, like the oh, kind passage. of the big oh. fish. Okay, big fish. I'd say you want to troll those. Uh, we would troll cedar plug. We didn't have the best luck with the cedar plug, not gonna lie, this time around. But I have caught like 14 different species on a cedar plug, ranging from you know uh, uh, wahoo to kingfish to. Uh, blackfin tuna on just the cedar plug so you may want to write that down cedar plug uh for the lure and also i've heard what also works great are these those colorful skirt lures that are kind of squid like they have like the pink and the yellows and the greens we didn't have any of those but i've heard those work phenomenally for trolling and we also used a bucktail which is more of a new england kind of uh, lure, but we had a lot of those, so we used a bucktail. And you're gonna get the most luck trolling in deeper waters and drop offs. So, like Exuma Sound is a great place to troll. Uh, 
Uh, the tongue of the ocean is a great place to troll. Right next to Chubb is a great place to troll. Crossing a bank is the worst place to troll. If you're crossing a shallow bank, you're going to get Barracuda every time. Oh, and you don't want Barracuda? We don't like Barracuda. Like, there's a lot of people who eat Barracuda. Uh, they're a little bit more of a challenge. They've got sharp teeth. You know, you don't want to get an injury when you're out there alone in the Bahamas, you know? Like, it right. could be a serious injury. It could be a small injury. You don't know. And uh, since they eat a lot of reef fish, they, they eat tons of reef fish. The cigarettaria. Yeah, right. they are the number one fish that has the cigarettaria disease, which is a foodborne disease. When you eat it, you will be, like, thrown on your bed for, like, a day and a half, we've heard. And that never goes away. That, that yeah exactly and they eat the most reef fish and they eat they eat like tons of fish and the big ones especially you have to avoid we've heard to eat i think the only other little piece of advice i got a little frustrated you know we're always trolling the line we're always reading and trying to catch these fish i don't think that we were really traveling fast enough okay no moving at like we averaged about four, four knots and i think if we had kicked it up to like six not it would have definitely true these faster more feistier sport fish yeah, just a, not much more but just like cruising at six knots i think five and a half even right would have made a difference so pretty much the best way to catch fish we saw is spear fishing one is the best the most instantaneous way you always know what you're catching but then when you catch you so you catch a small fish spear fishing you catch a smaller reef fish cut them up, eat that, and then take its belly meat and use the fish belly meat as just throw it off your boat at anchor. And you just leave that unattended or you're just sitting there with it? You, you sit there with it because you will see interactions and you want to make sure you, um, you know, I'd say if you want to sit there and not touch it, you get a circle hook instead of a straight hook. Circle hook will set itself more likely. And you put a little you adjust the drag so they can take the uh, line and everything but we we had a lot of exciting like uh anchorage uh fights there was so much fun so uh when you're trolling uh do you put a weight on the the trolling line yeah, yeah you, you can put an inline sinker on it and and honestly it just takes adjusting you got to play with it you got to maybe start it off at the surface and Try it out for 30 minutes. That's not working. Uh, put an inline sinker on. Drop it down. Drop it down. Also adjust to see. It's all adjustments. And basically, the number one advice I could give for for trolling is not the depth or it out is to know to check your line to make sure you're not dragging seaweed. If you're dragging seaweed, you're never going to catch anything. You always got to make sure there's nothing towing on that line. Okay, so you have to clean the seaweed all the time. Exactly. You got to make sure you're. You're never gonna catch anything if you're towing seaweed. It, you can you can tell if you're towing it by just touching the line. Like it, it's yeah. so much more heavy, you know. So there's not a, a particular depth. You think it, if it's pretty close to the surface, that's okay. Yeah, right. surface. Honestly, we've heard surface, and then right outside of where your wake is is where the and then. There can even be a, a more particular way. If there's heavy seas, you could have it like just on the crest or just off of the crest. You don't want it like splashing up in the uh, trough or anything like that. So right. you think it? You you, you, you don't think you need to drag it like fifty feet away? Oh, maybe no like ten feet away. So maybe like ten feet away or twenty uh, feet away. Say at least thirty. At least thirty. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so you do need to put out a little bit of line. 
Definitely, yeah. because they will get spooked by the boat. Once you get them close to the boat, they'll do another run. Okay. Uh, but in terms of it, it's submerging. It's not doesn't necessarily need to submerge. I would say the further out you put it, the further it will go down. Okay, so it. You don't think yeah. that? The further line, yeah, definitely. If you have the sinker on it, then. E- either way, because the line's gonna weigh down the lure. Yeah, like it will have. Yeah. It will. It will go down further the further you put it out. So, did you do much spear fishing in the Bahamas? Did a ton. Got so much better at spear. I'd never spear fished before in my life. I didn't have any gear. Was the was the biggest issue. So basically, all the spear fishing I did was no weight belt, just a bathing suit and a spear, and it was so challenging. Yeah, I found that. Yeah, the the ability to dive. Now, how do you recover the weight belt? You just kind of dive for it or something. The weight belt, you basically just put enough weight on you so that you stay at a neutral buoyancy and you always have it on you just it's it's a little scary uh, swimming with the weight belt at first because you go down 30 feet and you're not automatically going to go back up you got to push your way all the way back up okay yeah you spend a lot of energy just pushing yourself down without a weight belt exactly the first time i had a weight belt on it kind of spooked me because i didn't get like that rising sensation like to get to the surface i was like wow like i would just stay down here if i didn't do anything about it and uh what kind of what kind of spear did you have did you it was like it was a gaku pole spear is actually like one of the best pole spears you can get on the market and uh, my brother bought it for me for uh, before we left. It's like going away present. So you didn't use the Hawaiian sling and stuff like that. No, uh, it was a it was a Gaku pole spear, uh, and it was super long. Um, How long was it? Go, what, what's up? How long was your pole spear? I think it was nine feet. Whoa. Okay. But you could, but you could also. Um, take out the middle part and okay it down to around five feet you know okay i got you so i was wondering how you're gonna put that in the hatch He's... oh they, they came apart three pieces okay and then you could even have it smaller you know in use but i found it best to have that nine feet because i'm i i'm so bad at spear fishing that like i spook a fish really easily and having that extra range makes a big difference in getting that fish now I bet you have a lot of uh, spear fishing videos on your channel. Uh, yeah, a decent amount, but not a lot of um, not a lot of like uh, like hits. You know, what I mean, <laughs> it was super hard for me to to get like the action of catching it because I was so new at spear fishing. I wasn't focused on filming. I was like, get the fish priority. Right. Awesome. Yeah, but I, I did film. I did film. Uh, a, we met up with a really good buddy who was like one of the most phenomenal spear fishermen we met. And uh, he, I, fil- I filmed him just getting the fish one time. I didn't even go for any. I just filmed him spearing fish. Okay. And what video is that? It's called uh, Spearfishing the Bahamas. Spearfishing Bahamas. Okay. So how many uh, videos do you have on your channel? Uh, I think it's approaching just about 80 right now. All right, uh, it's very uh, popular. Everybody seems to like it. They, I think, everybody would be really happy when you guys get your new boat and uh, yeah, get to see you guys going out there again. Uh, if you're gonna, if you're gonna start, if you get your new boat, when you get your new boat, where do you want to go? We want to go straight to Florida, and then we want to go right back to the Bahamas, probably. And then I also want to go 
to all those places we missed in the Bahamas. I want to go down to Georgetown, obviously, but moreover, I want to go to like Long Island, maybe check out like Conception, all those places. And then also, we definitely want to go to the BVIs, I'd say. Okay, so uh, in the first year, you think you'll probably just loop the Bahamas and go back to Florida or 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 try the thorny path down to the BVI? Either the first year, we'll just go down a marathon, see if we want to cross, and then maybe go back north, and then the second year, go back down to Florida and then cross. Like, we're not sure if we want to go yet. We just want to be on the boat, really. Yeah, we have no idea. It's so far in advance that we really don't have much of an idea, but we're basically, so excited to plan it all. Basically, it's like, get on the boat and then make sure you're not cold on the boat. That's the priority. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I guess you need to get fairly south to yeah. not be too cold. Uh, yeah. But it even gets cold in marathon, right? Definitely, yeah. Well... It was uh, great talking to you. Uh, are there any things that I didn't ask you about, but you'd like to put in the podcast? Uh, well, I can't really think of anything in particular. I, mainly, maybe for people who are just interested in going in general, I'd say don't be focused on getting the perfect boat and focus on just getting a boat that will uh, get you out there and simply. And don't worry about all the autopilot refrigeration solar panel all that stuff just get a boat that will get you on the water and start making you learning everything about sailing and cruising and then maybe the second time around after you've already fallen in love with it then focus on refining your searches Uh, i guess that brings up a good point Uh, so how did you deal with kind of charging issues you just uh, ran your engine yeah we we um for like charging our laptops and whatnot we or charging the batteries yeah oh yeah we would just we would charge everything when we were underway and then if we were at anchor for an extended period of time we would just turn on our engine charge our laptops turn it off okay and your alternator was enough to keep you going definitely but we really did have to like run the engine we couldn't really like charge too much or leave too much on for an extended period of time without that we didn't want to risk it to be honest well it was great talking to you guys have nice fun. To meet yeah, it was nice meeting you. It was nice talking to you. Okay, bye bye. Bye bye. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. In the next episode, episode 14, we will have Nikki Steiger of White Spot Pirates. She's got a great YouTube channel and I caught up with her after she sailed from Panama to Isla Mujeres in Mexico. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Have them subscribe for free. If you'd like to get bonus content, go to Patreon slash Sailing and help out the podcast. For a limited time, we're letting patrons like Aurora record the intro or the outro to the podcast. Check out my books at Amazon.com, How to Sail Around the World Part-Time, and Slow Boat to the Bahamas. Goodbye for now and have some fun on the water. Hi, I'm Jana Wilson. Thank you for listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Subscribe to our free newsletter at SlowBoatSailing.com.